Let's open our hearts to what God's going to say to us this morning. Father, I want to thank you for Nick. I want to thank you for his um, heart for you, his understanding of your word and his ability to communicate it. And I pray, Lord, that you'd open our hearts this morning. Give us soft hearts, open minds to what he's saying and more to the point, what you're saying through him this morning. Amen. Sometimes it can feel like society is falling apart, like community is shrinking, like people are left without protection, old certainties disappearing and new threats appearing. I'm echoing quite strangely, am I? Should I be doing something different? Oh, God. Keep going. And actually, sometimes we feel like that. Sometimes our lives feel like things are falling apart, like there are lots of threats, like certainties are disappearing, like we're facing challenges that we don't know how to cope with, we don't know how to get through, we don't know uh, what will take us through it. Our protection seems to be gone. Uh, and actually many other people around the world face this on a, on a hugely magnified scale at the moment. I wonder how it is to be a refugee returning to Syria after eight years of war or to be in Yemen trying to cope with the crisis there or to be trying to rebuild after cyclones in Mozambique or in India. Lots of people face challenges, difficulties, a sense of they're not having that protection. And we're going to be looking at the book of Nehemiah over the next few weeks. Oh, I forgot the clicker. Thank you. Um, the book of Nehemiah tells a story of a time like that for God's people, when God's people were disgraced and threatened. And what God did through people going to him, praying to him, getting together, sharing vision, working to restore community and to build their city, and how God blessed what they did together. And for us, this series is about being a team. It's about all that God can do through us as we together go to him, share together, work together with him. So we're going to be looking at Nehemiah building together. First, I want to give you a little bit of a background to understand how God's people uh, got to where they were. Um, can we lose these middle lights so people can see the screen. Does anyone feel competent to turn them off? I think if you turn the top right two, we'll do it. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, okay. Thanks, Jake. Right, we're there. We have the technology. So, let me take you back. Roughly 3,000 years to about 1,000 BC. King David ruled in Jerusalem um, and over a, a wider area, his son Solomon built an amazing temple to God. It was like the height of the powers of that kingdom of Israel at that time. Um, but ultimately, Solomon turned away from God and started following other gods as well. And in the time of his son, the kingdom was divided. Over the years, 
Some kings followed God, but more rejected him, worshipping the abominable, cruel gods of the Canaanites, some of them even sacrificing their children as offerings to them. And so ultimately, God brought the penalty he had commanded in his law hundreds of years earlier. The northern kingdom of Israel uh, was defeated by the Assyrian emperor, empire, and its people were exiled and deported to Assyria uh, and scattered in about 722 BC. The southern kingdom, Judah, lasted longer as some of the kings turned to God and continued to follow him. But finally, uh, the Babylonians conquered them. And many of their people, including Daniel, whose book we read about, were deported in the first exile, which happened in uh, 605 BC. So the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem, took some of the people away, uh, the, the nobles, the royal family, um, and left some people in the city and set up a, uh, another king. Um, there was another exile in 597. And then finally, uh, the last king rebelled against his Babylonian sort of overlords. There was a terrible, terrible siege of Jerusalem. And ultimately, in 586, the siege was ended. The kingdom was destroyed. The remaining people, were, or most of the remaining people, were taken into exile. The temple of God, this amazing structure that Solomon built, was burnt. Uh, the walls of the city were demolished. He talks about how the soldiers broke down each bit of it. So the city was left in ruins and defenseless. But God did not forget his people or his promise to them. After nearly 70 years in exile, as actually the prophet Jeremiah had prophesied before that, um, there was a new emperor. Uh, Cyrus took over from uh, the Babylonians. Cyrus of Persia conquered Babylon. And he brought a different policy to conquered peoples. Um, you know, whereas the Babylonian policy had been to bring people who were out away from their homeland, so that they couldn't create dissent. Uh, Cyrus and his followers actually wanted to send people back, or they, they gave them freedom to go back, um, freedom to worship their own gods. And we have this incredible decree, which is recorded in the book of Ezra, where basically Cyrus writes a letter and says, okay, any Jews who want to can go back to Judah, can rebuild the temple. Here's all the stuff that the Babylonians took from your temple in the first place that you can you can take back from it. And it's like God has stepped in and stepped into the politics of the ancient Near East to make it for his people, to rescue his people. Um, under Zerubbabel, who is um, King Jehoiachin's grandson, a group of exiles returned in uh, 537 BC, and they started to rebuild the temple, and if you read the book of Ezra, the first bit of it accounts that, they started to rebuild. At first, it was quick. It was going well. But they faced opposition from the other peoples around. Many challenges and work on the temple halted, started again, halted, started again, until it was finally completed in 516 BC. So after about 20 years, they managed that. But uh, 
the rest of the city was a bit of a state. Some of the houses were rebuilt. The wall was still destroyed. They, they started to try and rebuild it, but then because of opposition from local, other peoples around and threats of sort of a, a accusations before the emperor, they sort of stopped. Um, in, five, sorry, in 458, Ezra the scribe returned and started to teach people about God's laws again. And then finally, we get to 445 BC. And that's where our account in the book of Nehemiah starts. So we're going to read that. If anyone would like a Bible, if you want to stick your hand up, and uh, someone will kindly put a Bible in your hand. Thanks, Ian. So, this is Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, which is sort of November, December, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down and its gates have been burnt with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ears be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer that your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizons, I will gather them from and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your prayer be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer. So, Nehemiah asked two key questions of his brother who just returned from Judah, from Jerusalem, about the people and about the place. And Hanani said, the people are in great trouble and they're in disgrace. And the walls are broken down and the gates are burnt with fire. And the two are linked, probably 
yeah, we don't make much sense of it ourselves. In our largely peaceful society, yeah, we don't uh, need walls around cities. Perhaps we think of walls as being a bad thing, like sort of we might feel about Trump's proposed wall or whatever. But I'll tell you what I do every night. I lock all the external doors to our house. And then I get into bed and I think, did I lock the conservatory door? <laughs> I think, I'm not sure if I locked the conservatory door. And, you know, and I get out of bed, I check, and I did lock the conservatory door, and I go back to bed. And then normally I wonder about whether I switch the, the um, dishwasher on. But anyway, we won't get into that. Um, because I fear that someone could come in and steal things or injure us in the night. Um, and actually, that's, that's what walls and protection can do for us. And I, I want to imagine what it would be like to live in a city where where armies did attack, where in your grandparents' time, this same city had, where you lived had been destroyed in battle, um, and where people around were even now threatening the same thing. Um, without walls, an ancient city had no, no security, and hence no identity. I think of the destruction of Syrian cities like this is an awful picture from Homs, in Syria after the war, or you know, the, the destruction then. And just this sense of what is life like in a city without protection, in a community with nothing uh, keeping out these threats, how would they feel? What was Nehemiah's response? Actually, in one sense, Nehemiah was fine himself. He had a privileged position. He was cupbearer to the king. So he was the one responsible for getting the wine ready for the king, making sure it wasn't poisoned. It was quite common, actually, for uh, Babylonian and Persian empire emperors to be sort of bumped off by someone near them. So actually, it was a position of quite high responsibility to, and, and totally trusted. So he was like in a privileged position in the palace. He didn't have to worry, in one sense, about what was happening in a city 500 miles away. Um, even though it was the city of his ancestors. But he did feel it deeply. He wept. It says he expressed emotion. He had compassion for God's people who were over in Jerusalem and in Judea. He had a heart for God's name, that it would be uh, given the honor and the due dignity. And in that sorrow, he did the best thing he possibly could have done. The best thing we can do whenever we face destruction, a lack of protection, things falling around, no way through. He brought it to God. He went to God. His decision was to go to God in this situation, to pray, to bring all of his needs, all the needs of his people before them. We're told that he mourned and he fasted. He went without food um, as he prayed to God. And actually, this is over an extended period we see that he's praying. Um, indeed, he starts in December. That's when he gets the news. When he actually gets talks to the king, the beginning of chapter 2, it's the month of Nisan, which is sort of March, April. So he's, sort of, he, you know, he's waited sort of three, four months. And we're going to look at how Nehemiah prayed 
So I think it's a really helpful guide to us as we think. Sometimes it's hard for us to think, well, what am I going to pray? How am I going to pray? How can I bring this situation before God? And we're going to look at how Nehemiah, at the start of this account of the amazing things that God did through him and through God's people, um, how he prayed. I've got five key things we can learn from how he prayed. First, as we pray, let's remember, let's recall who God is. He starts his prayer. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. As we pray, let's start by praying, thinking about who God is, reflecting on his goodness, his love, his awesome power. He's the Lord, the creator. He's the God of heaven, the one who rules over everything. He's great, powerful. He's awesome. So the enemies who face him fear. He's faithful. He keeps his covenant of love. He says he is a faithful, kind God who has promised to love his people and who keeps that covenant of love. Let's, as we pray, remember who God is. And let's remember who we are in our relation to God. He goes on to pray, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Nehemiah realized he wasn't just the king's or the emperor's servant. That wasn't really who he was, a cupbearer to to the king. No, he was God's servant. His allegiance was to God. And he was God's person in that place. And actually he had confidence to go and pray to this amazing God because he knew that he ultimately belonged to God. He was God's servant. Let's remember who we are before God in our relationship with him. Am I sort of, is this a weak connection here? It's me. Is that better or worse? It's my pocket. Okay, let's try it there instead. So let's remember who we are. Let's be honest about where we're at. He, he goes on to pray, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, laws you gave your servant Moses. In Nehemiah's case, at this point, he's very aware of the sin of his people, which had got them into exile in the first place. That's the whole reason that he's over in Persia, um, you know, in, in that position, um, because they had sinned against him. And he's very aware how the people have turned away, but he's reflecting that back to God, being honest. As we pray, let's be honest to God. He knows anyway. He knows everything that's in our heart. He knows what we're feeling. He knows our emotions. 
He knows what's going on. But he loves it when, he, when we express our heart back to him, when we tell him what's going on, when we breathe all those things that we are feeling, that we are facing before him. Because he wants us to be dependent on him. He wants us to, to put our trust in him. That's why we pray. Yeah, God knows it already, but he wants us to put our trust in him. Be honest with God as we pray. Let's remember who God is. Let's remember who we are. Let's be honest. And let's remember God's promises. He goes on to pray. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, as they had been, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, it then even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. He remembers God's promise. God had promised, even though they were scattered, that he would call them back. He would bring them back to Judah, to Jerusalem, if they would follow him, if they would set him right. He calls on God and says, remember what you've promised. Remember what you said uh, a thousand years earlier to Moses. Remember what you had said to these people. For us, we can remember God's promises. What has God promised us? What has God promised his people through Jesus? Let's bring those to God as we pray. And finally, let's be specific. So the last thing he prays is, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. He knows he's got a particular challenge. As we'll see next week, he's going to come before the king and uh, basically make a request to go and help his people. Um, and he knows that's actually, you know, Persian kings can be pretty scary people. And it's quite a challenging situation to actually make that sort of request. So he's got a specific issue, and he prays specifically for that. So whatever we're facing, nothing is too small, nothing is too big for him. Bring it specifically to him. I find this a really helpful guide. I don't know how you are about praying. Some of us find it quite easy. Some of us find it quite hard. Some of us find it both at different times. Um, bringing our needs to God is so important. It's what he wants above all for us, that we would depend on him because he's God and he wants us to be his people to trust him. Uh, and, and what I wanted to do uh, for, the next, for, for the rest of this time this morning was actually just have some time to pray uh, each of us along these lines, you know, on our own, with God, not, um, not with other people. But I'm going to um, just pick up each of those five points that I've mentioned and then just say a couple of things about each, put something up on the screen and give us a moment to, to reflect, to pray, to open our hearts to God. It might be that you're not used to praying. Um, it's not something you do. Um, I hope this will help you just to think, how can I do this? How can I connect with this God? Because the amazing God who made the universe wants to connect with each of us. He cares about what we face. He knows the mountains 
that we look to see we have in front of us and we can't see but that he can. So that's what we're going to do. So let's remember who God is. And in a moment, let's spend a minute or two just thinking about who God is, what he means to us. You might find it helpful to look at uh, these words which sort of say things which are said in the Bible about who God is. I find it interesting that when Jesus taught us, taught his disciples to pray, he followed a similar pattern. He told them to start with praying, our Father in heaven, which says a lot about who God is and what God is to us. So let's just take a moment to think, reflect on who he, he is to us. take a moment now just to remember who we are in God's sight. If we're Christians, if we've chosen to follow him and make him Lord, it says in the Bible that we're, we're the children of God, uh, dearly loved. If, if we've not yet made that step, you know, he loves us. His heart is open to us. He wants us to come into that relationship of him being our father, us his children. He wants to open that to us so that we could know his love poured out into our hearts. It says in the book of 1 John, see what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. That's his great love for us. Let's take a moment reflecting on that. And if you're not yet a Christian and you'd like to be, I encourage you as we pray to ask him into your life if you want to follow him and say let him let you show me your love show me your love Lord God
facing all kinds of challenges we may be. Scared, tired, anxious, jealous, lonely, sad, mourning. We may be facing all kinds of difficulties. He knows, but he wants to know from us. He wants us to express that. Take a moment just to express our heart for what we're feeling where we're at. told us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's a declaration of what God is going to do to make all things right. I put up just a few of the promises of God in the Bible that probably you can't actually see very easily on the screen. Um, But God has promised all kinds of things for his people, for his love. He's promised, never will I leave you nor forsake you. He said, but all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. He said, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow faint. He said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Don't worry about tomorrow. remember his promises. Finally, let's be the Pacific. Nehemiah prayed specifically for his encounter with the king. Well, let's pray for what we need today. Jesus taught us to pray, give us today our daily bread, whatever it is that today we need. Let's bring that to God. silently at the back I'm just going to pray and build up Father I want to thank you that you are a good God and you love us I want to thank you that we are your children and that offer is open to anyone if we would follow you I want to thank you that you want to know what's in our hearts 
you want us to put our hope in you. I thank you for your promises that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. And I thank you, you ask us to pray for our daily bread, for what we need today. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So just keeping this sort of atmosphere of prayer as we get ready. Um, a lot of that was about remembering, wasn't it? And, and we, once the children have all joined us, we're going to be uh, following Jesus' instructions to remember him through taking bread and